I will be reading from Luke 1, 5 through 13. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Have you ever sensed the brush of angels' wings? In his presence, we sense, and we're in holy ground, and we can sense his angels all around. A moment where you are powerfully aware of God's presence, so aware of his presence that it is a palpable, it is a sensory perception. It is no longer simply a theory that God is with us. It is no longer simply the, the testimony that I believe what the Word of God says, that God is with us, but instead it crosses that threshold into something true and tangible for you. Not likely that it becomes that same thing for other people, although there are moments. Let me just say, worshiping with you guys on Sunday mornings particularly, when, when, when it's not just a few of us in this room, but we, we fill it up as best we can fill it up these days, and we sing these songs of God's presence and of His uh, celebrating all that God does, um, there's a special sense that angels are here with us, amen? And maybe you sense that with me. Um, yeah, uh, you, you don't know it. I, 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 sometimes my hand goes up during a song. Just want you to know that's never me. That an angel is lifting my hand. I have nothing to do with it. That's a joke. Don't be too worried, too worried, too worried. One of the things about God's presence, though, is it can show up in those moments. Um, Holy Ground is a very special song to me. Um, had a, I've preached two funerals in the last 20 years, and, and for these, sorry, I've preached many more funerals than that. I preached two particular funerals, and they were two people who were in my life 30 years ago. And we sang this song at a camp setting, Hensel Camp. Many of you know Hensel Camp, have been there, have been in the amphitheater. And sitting in the amphitheater, natural stone amphitheater, there's a cliff off in the distance that you can kind of see through the trees. We sang Holy Ground to wrap up a worship service at that session of camp. And these two people, um, Furman Wardell and Sheila Weaver, uh, came running down to me. They were on staff. These are not campers. And they said, did you see them? Did I see what? Alan, we saw angels on the cliff. Um, there's a particular import to that in that every year we went to camp, we prayed very specifically that God would create a dome of spiritual protection around that place so that his children can grow in a unique way and be unaffected by the things in the world. Just for that one 
five, six day time. And they came and said, did you see them? We saw angels on the cliff surrounding us. God is with us. And we affirm that reality. But I need you to know that it's not always about those spiritual high moments. In my life, there have been very few times as powerful in the sense of God's abiding presence, palpable sense of God's presence, uh, when I was 50 years old. And what do you do when you're 50? What do you do when you're 50? Go for a colonoscopy. And that's a presence of God moment, right? No. Um, It is when the GI comes in and says, this is not a problem, this is not a problem, but this is a problem. And you come to this moment and you realize, I'm not alone. I'm not going to go through this alone. Whatever happens, whatever happens, God is with me. And sometimes it is that God allows us to go to those places of vulnerability. Those places where the human stuff that we build up our person around and think we're so strong and able to be who we are, when all of that kind of gets eroded away and we have to realize that, no, I am who I am and I stand where I stand because God is with me. I pray that you sense the brush of angels' wings and I might go so far as to say, I pray that your days... Not just days at this time of year, not just in the midst of a sermon series called Angel's Wings, but that every day you might pray, Lord, I want to sense your presence. I want to feel, I want to hear, I want to be aware of the brush of angel's wings all around me, at work, with my family, at Walmart. Do we need God's presence with us anywhere more than we do at Walmart? Somebody say amen, especially at this time of year. There are a few more unexpected moments in the gospel that Luke writes than this moment that I love the way this artist captures. We have had the announcement, uh, almost like a prophetic prediction, but in reality, angels come and announce that a, a boy will be born known, that's going to be known as John, and that the Son of God will be born to Mary. We're going to read that announcement in just a minute. But the writer of Luke, Luke, sorry, brings us to this interplay between these two announcements. And it's no longer about sort of a, an argument that the angel has with someone, right? Zechariah says, Oh, wait a minute, they're a little bit old. And Mary says, Wait a minute, I don't have a husband. And instead, it becomes a very personal awareness. Two mothers come together, one very young, one who's very old, one who's been praying for a baby all her life, and one who had never expected to be pregnant, at least not for the next year or so, having been betrothed to Joseph, but not yet consummated that relationship. They come together in this moment that Luke will describe and say to us, Mary comes into her presence, walks in the door of her home, and Elizabeth turns and rejoices. The baby in my womb moved. God's presence was no longer just a theory or an idea, but the angel that spoke to Zechariah that he's told me about, or written to me about, of course, in 
the temple has now made his presence known here. And this baby is moving within me because of your presence. It took a leap of faith for an aged cousin, a cousin of much senior years, a cousin who's been married, who's, who's done in the way Luke represents she and Jack, Zachariah. They've done everything right all their lives. And now finally this pregnancy comes to them. And now this girl, not yet without a marriage being consummated, although betrothed, and she celebrates not because it's the logical thing to do, not because the social norms would say it's the right thing to do, but instead because the angels move. And she says, there's nothing I can do except rejoice with you. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is what it, that which is in your womb. It's an amazing thing to say when all we can do really if we're standing in Elizabeth's shoes, is say, wait a minute, the angel didn't tell Zechariah anything about Mary having a baby. Elizabeth is rejoicing with a teenage, unmarried mother because she's not looking at it the way you and I would look at that. She's looking at it the way God would look at it. And as unexpected as it is, she senses God moving around her, God moving within her, and says, this is blessed. Amen. May each of you mothers, in your time, find that moment when people want to say, what is within you is a blessing, and we bless you in carrying that baby. As much as Luke's narrative includes these kind of interactions with supernatural uh, events, angels showing up, hosts of angels showing up, Incredible things happening to bring this story together, to make sure that we know it's a God story. He also wants to be sure as we read his gospel, in the first two chapters as we read his gospel, that he's not simply telling a myth. Instead, he is telling real human history. Chapter 1 will be placed in the context of Herod the Great, who's ruling on the throne in, Jer in Jerusalem over Judea. And then when we turn to Luke chapter 2, he will announce that it is Caesar Augustus who has issued a decree. And the reason that they go to Bethlehem is because of what Caesar has done. In a very powerful way, Luke is putting us in history. He will give us time stamps that coordinate with nine-month gestations. Our babies being born in nine months. He'll give time stamps as that moves along. He wants to be sure that he, he, we understand that as much as God is involved in this, it's a very human sort of story. It's real. It's tangible. It is as real as the life you live, and yet God has intersected it in a very, very powerful way. How often do we get so wrapped up in our world that we see as just this natural occurrence of of situations and reactions and circumstances such that we don't really keep our eyes open for the brush of angels' wings and for the message of God and His saying that your life is the place where I want to do my good even if you aren't expecting it.
So we've read, and Callan did such a good job of reading from us from the announcement of John's birth. Let's skip down in the chapter to verse 26 and read from the announcement that we're more familiar with, Gabriel's announcement, pronouncement to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Just for very quick here, Luke doesn't want this to be unembodied people. He doesn't say that there was a woman and she was engaged to a man, but most importantly, God's son came. He wants us to know that there are real people, real people just like you and I. People, by the way, that if it weren't for what God was doing, nobody would even have noticed. And it may well be that you kind of see your own life as kind of one that, well, I'm not sure anybody would notice if I weren't here. One of the reasons that you're involved in a church family is because you know that that puts you in a place and with a group of people who are noticing you. But I want to affirm that God is noticing exactly where you are and all the things that you're doing, especially as you act in faith. We don't have any kind of sense that Mary has done anything right in this process. In fact, in reality, she's favored because of what God does for her. We don't know that Joseph has done anything right, except that he's going to stand up and be the guy who God needs him to be when the time comes. Joseph and Mary. And he came, he came to, the, to, the, to her and said, came to Mary and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I just want to remind you one more time that when angels show up, It's a scary deal. And in your own life, sometimes when God starts moving in a way that's like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 I'm not sure I signed up for this. We need to rest because God's carrying us there. He's going to take care of us in a way that only he can. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you will name him Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And we all say, Amen. But that's not what Mary says. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? Now I want to just point out something real quickly here. Mary's primary message that she's heard from the angel is not that he's the son of God and that his kingdom will last forever and that he's the fulfillment of all that God's been doing since the very beginning is going to bring about things that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. No, what she hears is, I'm going to get pregnant. A little bit like us. Sometimes God has great plans and all we want to say is, You mean I'm going to have to miss my day off? You mean I'm going to have to throw in a little more of my money? You mean this is going to be a little bit of an inconvenience? God has great plans. Amen? God had great plans for Mary. God has great plans for you. But are we looking 
and are we trusting? How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Just very quickly here, the language, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. If you take that from Greek to Hebrew, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, everything was null and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the earth. What God is about to do in Mary's womb is equivalent to what God did when he created from nothing into all that we know. And Luke wants to be sure that we tie together not only that God is doing this amazing thing in Israel's history, but God is doing something that was, is like the original creation that will touch every single person on the whole earth. Amen? And the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be bearing, barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And in that phrase, Mary ties together both the Isaiah who when God calls him says, here am I. But in that phrase, he also ties in what Jesus will do ultimately in the garden before he goes to the cross. As he prays and says, surely this cup can pass. But he says, I don't want it to be the way I want it to be. I want it to be the way you want it to be. And Mary says, from this earliest moment, this young girl, caught up in a world of difficulty and struggle because of the situation that she's going to find herself in, says, I want to be yours. I'm available for you, and I want it to be the way you want it to be. You see, with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. God will, with God, we need to be looking for angels' wings. We need to be expecting the unexpected. We need to be the people who say, I, don't, I realize it looks desperate and difficult. And boy, we're in the middle of a time in our, in our individual community where things are difficult and scary. And we might even say hopeless. We as a nation are living in a time when so many conflicts are going on. And it almost seems that, that people can hardly talk to each other about nearly any subject without it having to be this inflammatory thing divided in so many different ways, and yet, with God, we believe something greater can happen. Amen? With God, we believe that there is hope, even in the most hopeless places. With God, we recognize that even the insurmountable things can be conquered because He wants to lead us to those good things. So incredible way that there's nothing here that we expect. I mean, let's just let's stack Mary up here. God's going to do something with who? And the answer is with Mary. Mary, a young woman in a time when age is so incredibly respected. Mary, 
who not only is not known by very many people, but she's in the kind of the backwaters of away from civilization. Who? And not only that, in a society that's highly stratified, Mary is proclaimed to be this poor child from a poor family. There's nothing here that should expect great things from us, except there is this one other very unexpected kind of thing. Isaiah, back 500 years, 600 years, 800 years earlier, depending on how you see the writing of Isaiah, said, The Lord himself will give a sign, and the young woman will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. You may have heard this, tr this translated in a different way, that the virgin will conceive, that it is the idea that God is not simply leaning into the common meaning of the word, but God is saying, I am going to bring something that you think is impossible to accomplish my good. Again, the word translated in your Bible is likely virgin. Some translations will not do it that way. But the common way to translate that Hebrew word is just young woman. Every once in a while, it will represent a virgin. But when we come to the New Testament, and when it is proclaimed and, and seen as a, as a fulfillment of what Jesus was doing, it is not just the idea of a young woman who, oh, well, maybe it's not all that big a deal because she's already married and already knows a man and good things are going on there. No. It is the God that says, I'm going to take something that's impossible. By the way, even more impossible than a barren woman who continues to know her husband but having not been known by man and with no sort of physical contact, something that can't be is. Something that's impossible becomes a new and wonderful hope. How can we be a people who are listening, listening for angels' wings and particularly the hope of God's unexpected work in our lives? First of all, we need to be sure that we don't let our sense of what's good be the level of expectation that we put on things. In reality, we need to let God set our expectations. Amen? How hard is it going to be to get there? Really hard. Is it impossible to get there? Not with God. Amen? And sometimes we sort of get wrapped up in the world's expectation of what good is instead of let God in God's expectation of what that good and blessing can be. Secondly, and this becomes really hard sometimes, we need to be a people who are resting in the ever greater provision of God. Does God want to give you just enough? I don't think that's the answer. God wants to give you His ever greater. And by the way, I'm not talking about being richer. I'm not talking about having a bigger house or a better car or whatever it may be. But in your sense of the impact of your life, there is a God's ever greater. In the sense of what God wants to do with you, there is an ever greater, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, if you'll put your life in His hands. Finally, if we're going to be listening for God's unexpected hope, we need to be sure that we are trusting in the promise of God that He can use everyone who will say, Here am I.
We're involved in this, this Christmas basket project, aren't we? We're, we're going to take out, more. it sounds like more baskets than we've ever taken out before. Probably 40-some families are going to get served. And you can look at that and say, oh, what difference can I make? What difference is my little gift going to make? And what we don't know is how God's goodness can work in our little efforts. You're going to pick up a card back there, and it's going to say a gift for a three-year-old boy. And you're going to go, and you're going to find something that you're going to give, and, and you may say, what difference will this make? But if you will take the time to say, God, I'm buying this because I want to honor you. God, I'm going to get this and give this because I want it to be your blessing. I'm going to lay it down at your feet. There is no telling what that gift can do. What the gift of your groceries, the difference that might make in a household. And yes, we can become cynical and we can walk in. I've delivered groceries so many times you can't know. And sometimes you walk in that house and there's a 70-inch TV sitting there and you think, what am I doing bringing groceries? Because every once in a while you recognize that the only presents that are going to be under that tree are the presents that we bring. And the food that we bring is going to go from an empty place to a full place. And you're never going to know the difference between those two places. God is. The question is, are you going to be faithful to say, here am I? We've got about 30 kids' cards left back there. And my question to you is, are you going to say, here am I? You're going to pick up a card and sign and say, I got this card and I'm going to take care of that present. Can you give some money so that someone can do it for you if you're not comfortable getting out? If you're online with us and want to be involved in that, please call Gary or Kelly McBrayer. They'll help you get involved. But bottom line is, when we do those kinds of things, we're saying that God can even use me. And God has a greater hope than I could imagine. And God wants to do the expected, even with my small gifts, because I say, here am I. I want to serve the way you want to serve. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Make no mistakes, saying that is a scary thing. To say, God, I realize I, my expectations of where things ought to, ought to go is over here, and I don't know where you're going to lead it. But I'm going to say, here am I. I want it to be the way you want it to be. Make no mistakes. That can be a scary place. But that's exactly what he invites us to. And it almost seems that the scarier the step may be, the greater our sense of God's presence with us as we step out into it. Amen? And it would be my prayer that you, that you would do things in your life, not just at this time of year, but always where you get to that place that if this is going to be good, if this is going to work out, if this is going to be a blessing, it'll not be because of what I put into it and how good I am. But it is because of God's presence, of the presence of God's angels and messengers and His power. If there's any way that we can help you step into God's hope for you and God's expectations for you, and that sense of being a person who says, God, 
here am I. Won't you come now as we stand and as we sing? In need of grace, in need of love, in need of mercy rain down from high.